Throw up your W's, everybody. Throw them up. Throw them up. Um, I mean, I'm geeked. I talked to this man a little bit last week, but I'm still like uh, tripping. Um, we all know why we're here. We all know who he is, what he's done. Um, but I think you know the thing that's been most fascinating about your career journey is now how you're moving into film. You know the. Uh, world premiere of Probably so was last night. I was there. It was amazing. Shouts to Julio Torres and everyone and your your cast members. Um, you know, but obviously your career started in hip hop, right? Um, and two of the innovations that hip hop has given the world is the phenomenon of the sample and the remix. And you know, where you take something familiar and you rearrange it until it becomes something new again. And I feel like you've done that with your life, right? From, from BK, from Brooklyn, to Shaolin, to North Carolina, I don't know how many people know about that, um, to Prince Rakim, to Resurrecta, to now a, a, a filmmaker. What does it feel like to remix your own life? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's not that I'm remixing it. I think that, uh, you know, as an artist, I'm striving to evolve, right? You know, if we would have stayed in the cave, right, we wouldn't have got to the fire. Right. The fire wouldn't got to the, you know, to the cooking our foods and making it to the skyscrapers. Somebody really brave had to be the first person to rub those two sticks together, right? Exactly. I think as an artist, I think art is a wavelength, you know, and I think everybody has the ability to express art, you know? And for me, as an artist, I just find different ways to express myself. And so... I always try to let everybody know that I'm not schizophrenia, okay? <laughs> Let's just be clear. And all these different um, aliases that I put upon myself are more like a uh, description of the artistic vibe that I find myself in. Right, so you're just moving through different modes. Yeah. Um, you know, and now with Wu-Tang and American Saga, the show that's a dramatized version of you and the clan's careers, like you have other people portraying your lives. So the one thing for me, like it's a trip to see like Shamik and Dave East and Ashton playing you guys. Was there a generation gap at first? Like how did you guys learn to communicate with each other? Were you and your co-creator Alex C? Well, the cool thing is that, um, you know, Wu-Tang has a lot of information that's in the world, whether it's from videos, interviews, or concerts, and also some books out there. So the talent was able to research, right? The beauty of technology, having YouTube being an archival place to show old videos and old interviews. Um, and me and Alex C, what we wanted to do making this show was find a way to tell a biopic that not only um, captured the story of the individuals, but also captured the vibe of the times that also respected the art that existed. So sometimes, you know, you watch a biopic and it's just, you know, linearly uh, just a reenactment. We wanted to pay homage to the Wu-Tang Clan's music, uh, to the mythology that was created by it, to all the things that inspired us, uh, which is comic book culture, martial art culture, um, American culture, of course, uh, knowledge of yourself, uh, chess culture, all of these different elements we wanted to combine to tell the story because those are the elements that formulated the Wu-Tang Clan. You know, it's funny that you say the word mythology because 
you know, from jump, Wu-Tang felt mythological, you know, protecting that comes out on the radio and you're like, oh my God, like this is something I never heard before. And the thing that's really interesting to me about season three is you guys have created these mini movies that are like these allegories for the creation of uh, various members' solo albums. There was one for um, Ray that was based on 90s gang gangster flicks. I love the one on, on, on Old Dirty, focusing on the Dirt McGirt persona. It was like Rudy Ray Moore, Richard Pryor, obviously. Um, so talk to me about why you guys decided to take that approach with the solo albums. When, you, when we made those solo albums, we were actually trying to make movies then, right? We were trying to make audio movies. We didn't have no imagination that we would eventually go to make physical representations of it. But as a producer, I always wanted to put my audience and my listener in the world to explain uh, the vibe of the music and the context of where we were bringing our creativity from. And so when we got a chance to partner with Hulu and, and, and tell them, like, we want to go allegorical, and they embraced it. So it's good to have good partners um, from your studio and, and from your um, network, uh, and we did. And the, 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 the goal of it was to have the audience be able to experience the influences, uh, the culture, the times that inspired us to make our music. So Richard Pryor being one of the funniest guys, Rudy Ray Moore uh, being one of the first guys to actually do some form of rapping on screen. Yeah. Uh, the whole 70s vibe. He was from Bose too, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the whole 70s vibes of the Mac and Superfly. These are things that when we were kids that we grew up on uh, alongside the Kung Fu movies. So we wanted to show that to the audience. Uh, and yes, still tell the same story. And the last thing that it did for us and as, as creatives, um, I think it's always good if if you tell a story that people know, and you tell it in a way that they don't know. Yeah. I think, you know, even the movie we watched last night, it was, it was a story about immigration, but it was told in a way that you have never seen. I think that's the purpose of art. I think when you listen to um, Mozart, or you, listen, or you read Shakespeare, or, or, you, or you watch films, you're, you're getting a version of art that should not only inform you, but also inspire you. You know, it's funny uh, because um, you said like the allegorical stuff. I was watching like those episodes and it felt like, why does this feel more real than the real events? You know, like uh, old dirty running around, like battling his, his, his id, his impulses, you know, like that's not the way it actually went down, but it felt like the truth of the experience of making that album was probably in there. But actually, it, a lot of those things that we uh, fictionalize or we play with is, was his personality. And, you know, he has a family. Um, he has children. Um, you know, he has a widow. And so this was also a good way to pay homage to his zany, crazy, impulsive nature, but yet put it in a way that the family never felt disrespected. Yeah. You know, and I don't mind sharing this, rest in peace to ODB. Um, but yeah, ODB will hang up all night with the, the coke, the chicks right there, and it's, it's like, yo, let's go. You know what I mean? And uh, let's get the party started. <laughs> I mean, we got classics out of it, but yeah. yeah. Um, so. You know, 
And going back to the Kung Fu focus, the, the episode that you wrote and directed focuses on Jizza and the making of Liquid Swords. And you go all the way to, back to Shaw Brothers um, in, in presenting it as like a Kung Fu, Kung Fu epic. Um, let's actually roll to the clip that we have for you guys to see. Yeah, clap it up. One thing I love about this scene and the whole episode is that like you drop mad references to like if you're an old school hip hop head, it's just a feast. Um, shouts to Doom, uh, who had a little a bit of signage in there. Um, you know, again, I want to talk to you about the influences that you like uh, invoked in writing and directing this episode. The, the, the Kung Fu stuff is obvious, but were there specific directors or um, films that you were like, yeah, I, 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 this is the thing that made me who I am and I'm, I want to pay homage to it? Yeah, I mean, this particular episode is Kurosawa, of course. Um, actually, later on, there's some uh, Walter Hill vibes. Yes, there <laughs> you know is. What I mean? Uh, Sergio Leone vibes, and of course, uh, Chang Che and La Car Long from the Shaw Brother vibes. The, and and for me, um, you know, I love when art is stuffed, right? When it's stuffed with so many things, like like a box of Fruity Pebbles. This is like a lot of colors in there, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that scene right there is it's not just um, it's it's really a lot of information in that scene, talking about sometimes how we look to filter art, how we look to stop the natural purity of art to, to um, grow because of censorship, uh, because of um, the capitalism, people, capitalism, different taste buds and all these things that stop. And then the punchline of it, when uh, he tells them that uh, the um, fatherless child told us that they're going to make us all fight each other. You know, ODB was a very spiritual man, and he actually, um, he felt that, and I don't want to get too political, but he felt that the system itself was making everybody fight each other, right? Because he saw that through music and art, everybody was in the same room, enjoying each other, babies were being made, you know what I mean? Friendships were being made. And so... Um, we took the time in that particular scene, in this particular episode, just to tap upon things that that we talked about in private, to tap upon things that we saw in our lives, and at the same time to pay homage to all of the films uh, and 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 books that inspired us. Yeah, you know, when I first started watching that episode, um, uh, when he encounters uh, the younger dude in the wheelchair, and at one point he pulls out some short swords from the wheelchair. I was like, this is just Lone Wolf and Cub. Exactly. Uh, um, uh, the whole the whole wheelchair. Yeah, is the, Lone Wolf it's and all Cub. weaponized, right? Yeah. yeah, like if you all haven't checked out Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, classic manga, check it out. Um, then turn into uh, the Shogun Assassin movies um, in the mid '60s, I believe. But you know, I want to ask you about like for so long, most of your creative career has been working with sound, um, and now as the co-creator of this series, what is it like to visualize the process of making sounds, right? Of making, you know, beats and whatnot. Like, what parts of your brain did you have to kind of reconfigure or, or reapproach? Like something you've done all your life. Yeah, it's not a reapproach, Evan. It's actually, film is the best medium, I think, for art. So for everybody, I know you got writers and, 
and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying yeah, not know, to take that personal. I know, I know, I know. You don't take that personal. But in film, you actually get to include every point of art. Yeah. You get fashion, you get you know production design. They you get painting, you get uh, sound, light, um, even the carpentry. Yeah, set design, uh, whatnot. Set design, yeah. all these yeah. different things are, are all forms of art that come together just to capture these frames. So for me, it was more of an expansion of sound, an expansion of creativity versus to shift my brain. When I directed my first film, uh, The Man with the Iron Fist, I was, thank you, I was over in China for like nine months, yo. And no drugs, all right? <laughs> but what happened was, in the pressure of, 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 of a studio film, um, my brain just understood, like, wait a minute. The natural art impulses don't come from drugs. Right. Okay? Uh, it comes from a determined idea of focus, right? And being able to translate that idea to all your peers and all your heads of departments. And once I seen that, I was like, well, this is the greatest outlet of art it can be. You know what I mean? This is, excuse this analogy, this is like an art, if, 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 if it's, if, it's like an orgy. Yeah. <laughs> the party is, everything is happening. Excuse that analogy. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, I work in video games now, and I'd, I'd say there are some similarities. Um, shouts to my team at Restline. Um, collaboration like is such an important part of, I think, how, the, how you guys in the Wu-Tang Clan uh, ascended to the position where you guys currently hold. What is it like to work with other people from other specific disciplines to align them towards a vision? You find like it's easier because of your, your um, background with wrangling nine <laughs> like, uh, dudes to behind uh, an effort, or is it different now that the medium has changed? I mean, it could be challenging, of course, collaborations, because um, sometimes you want to go left and they want to go right. I've been fortunate uh, to be the director, so I get that final choice. But I think my first lesson in collaboration came in, um, beyond the Wu-Tang Clan, right? Because I was the producer and considered the de facto leader. But uh, when I was working on Kill Bill with, um, with Quentin Tarantino, I was at his service, and uh, I never really had a boss for most yeah, of my life. I ain't in charge, what? And uh, I remember giving him a piece of music, and uh, he's like, no, that's not, that's not it. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I went, it was like days of that. And then I almost gave up, and I was just sitting in the, because we was in the editing room when I was composing right there, and I was kept messing around, messing around, and then when I had this one piece of music that felt good, but I wasn't sure, he came in the room and was like, that's it. And so then I learned like, okay, I'm here to serve the purpose, not only of the director, but more importantly, the purpose of the film. Yeah. And it, even though I knew certain things he liked and we liked certain things, it was like, no, the collaboration effort, it actually supersedes everything and it's all for the purpose of the end product, and not even for just the satisfaction of your editor, of the actor, or the director. It has to serve the film. Yeah. And that revelation uh, stuck in my head, but it didn't fully materialize or mature 
until I had the same situation myself as a director. Um, and I would say that, um, you know, collaboration uh, is one of the best forms of art creation. Of course, the writer will sit there in his home at his computer and he would individually take, take the job, which he must do. But once he let that go, he has to now let it go and let it go into his collaboration world to connect with all the people who has to see the interpretation of it. Yeah, I, I've written comics and animation and when you get the art back, like you send a script out and, and when you get the art back, it's like, oh, okay, now it's real. Right. Um, you know, one of the other disciplines that's involved in filmmaking is obviously location scouting and selection. And you guys have, uh, you know, shot a lot of American Saga um, in Brooklyn, in New York. Um, why was that important to you? I mean, you got to bring it back home, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm uh, Brooklyn all day, so, long, yeah. Long. Yeah, uh, season one, we was purely New York, and as the seasons went on, we had chances to move around and even have our main stage in Newark, New Jersey, so thank, thank you, Newark, New Jersey, as well. Um, but when you're telling the story about New York, you got to put your foot on New York, Remember the, in the old days, people were shooting in Toronto yes. for yeah. New York or Vancouver. It's like, wait a minute, yo, those ain't the same New York bricks. Those streets are too clean. <laughs> that subway has no rats and on and on. Exactly. And no 50 cent hot dogs. <laughs> Dirty water dogs, champs. Um, you know, but the other thing that strikes me when I watch the show, and in particular this episode, is like, I mean, all these beautiful black people on screen, right? Um, and it felt like, you know, you watch the main players, Ashton and crew, and, you know, other people who show up, and you're like, these are people who are getting to extend their careers. And what does it feel like to, to be a generator of creative horizons for, like, we're literally talking new generations of people. What does that feel like? I mean, that's the greatest reward, Evan, is to be able to take let me take you back a little bit. So Wu-Tang Production, a company that I formed back in 1991, had, I had about $10,000 to my name. Um, and the idea to take that $10,000 and do something negative with it or do something positive with it. And I decided to go positive. I took it to, to my lawyer. I said, I want to form a corporation and I want to start my own record label. That $10,000, <clears> excuse me, went on to generate a billion dollars or more than a billion dollars because from that idea, we was able to make the Wu-Tang Clan with Spawn's Loud Records. Loud Records go to sign Mob Deep, Big Pun. We give Method Man Def Jam. <laughs> Def Jam struggling at the time. Method Man goes double platinum, regenerates that company. Electra Records uh, never had a gold hip-hop artist. We give them ODB. Here's a gold hip-hop artist, regenerate that, com that company. And so that was one thing. But then years later, we now are telling our story, <clears throat> excuse me, telling our story through, the, through Hulu. And we're dealing with, you know, not, not the say this in an egotistical way, but to tell a series in three seasons, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. And you got people from all walks of life having jobs. 
whether it's my gaffer and, and Doug Dolan and his whole family, whether it's, 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 it's the grips, uh, the unions, the, the writers, the caterers, so many people are eating off of this idea, off of this, really off of this $10,000. And then when I look back and see these young actors who are artists who now gets a chance to also build their families and start their careers off of an idea that started in 1991-92. Yeah, I feel pretty cool about that, yo. Let's <laughs> clap for that. Ninety-one, ninety-two. Raise your hands if you weren't born then in the audience. Um, you know, I've researched a little bit of uh, your interviews and whatnot, um, and one quote that you had that struck me was uh, about Wu-Tang inventing the sound of the future. Um, obviously, take it back to 91 to 2023 now. Does the future sound like what you thought it would? <laughs> You know what? Yeah. It does. Yeah. In this way. Hold on. I'll tell you what about the future sound like. It sounds like it in the sense of all of the elevation of the people. So you really see that happening? Listen, man. We are elevated as a people. When I said Bobby Digital, hey, we got to go digital. Listen, you can't do nothing without digital, bro. Right about that. Yeah. Um, also, when you think about, and especially in the art world, even though right now on the political stage, you know, we going blue, red, nobody going bong, bong. Nah, look in this room. Yeah. It's here, yo. So I always said a better tomorrow. All right. Shouts to John Wu. Yeah, exactly. And I think we are in a better tomorrow. And if you don't know you're in a better tomorrow, snap out of it. Wow. All right. Inspiration from the Abbott. <laughs> Um, you know, speaking of inspiration and like generational legacies and stuff, um, the Dirk McGirt episode was directed by Mary Yvonne P Van Peebles, um, son of uh, Melvin Van Peebles, uh, groundbreaking black exploitation director, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Uh, did you, were you like, yo, we gotta, we gotta get a Van Peebles on this? Um, what was it like to work with him? And did, since you're on your own filmmaking journey, what did you learn from him? Well, Mario, is a, let me try to get this frog out my throat. Do it. Take a drink of water. <clears throat> I was up last night partying with uh, the cast of Proper Mister. I think it's going to hang out with us. You're just going to have to be extra grimy and grab yeah. Hey, yo, check this shit out, son. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Mario was a blessing to us. Uh, he came on in season two. He was actually our PD. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, and then on the third season, he had a movie he had to do. And so it was a chance he wasn't going to come back. And um, I reached out to him. I said, well, I got this episode <laughs> that I think nobody can direct but you. Um, and he, uh, he had the time to do it. And it's some, the beautiful thing about it, if you guys ever check out this episode, it's called uh, it's episode three of the new season. Um, it's called Dirty Dancing, and we take the cast back to the 70s to, you know, to tell the story of ODB's album. And to have someone like Mario Van Peebles, who him and his father are pioneers of what was called the black exploitation field, 
and to have him actually be the guy to direct this episode and to, uh, you know, bring in the Soul Train energy and bring in energy that was actually from his father's legacy, I think it was a, a incredible blessing for us as as uh, showrunners, but also um, people who grew up watching Soul Train and all those movies, right? Yeah, man, it was it was it was super cool. And Mario is such a, a, a smart, uh, well versed in culture and art. I mean, this guy is is is, is sharp, man. And we learned so much from him. And I had to tell him the truth is that. When Mario Van Peebles was doing the movie New Jack City. Classic. I actually used to try to, I actually literally went to the set, hung around, hoping that's to be an extra and hoping to meet him. <laughs> I didn't meet him. Wasn't an extra. I seen them do this. Like, they wouldn't let me on set. I was like, you know, at the barricade. And I went days. Wow. And then to have years later to have him come and, collaborate with me is a testament of the power of art and the testament of dreams. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you've said in the past about like people going on creative journeys, uh, the best way to, to get anywhere is to have a map. What map do you feel like uh, Wu-Tang's legacy has provided to the world? And, um, you know, who is guiding you on your journey right now? Well, as far as a map, yeah, the best way to get anywhere is to have a map. You can know or you could try to figure it out, but if you got directions, it should help guide you. I actually believe in me and my, 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 my partner, Alex C., in the, in the writer's room, you know, Gabe and, and Emily and, and Zena and all of us, Michael, we talked about the map a lot inside that writer's room, and we aimed and hopefully we achieved creating a map with this series. You know, young people are going to go through being young. You're going to have your first smoke, your first drink, your first um, My daughter's intercourse. In Come on, man. Listen, you're going to go through all this, baby, all right? And if you want to be an artist, you're going to go through a lot of these chambers and pitfalls in any field. And if you watch our story, you can actually at least get some type of navigation, some type of like, wait a minute, I remember when that happened to the Wu. And you'll see that through all the adversities that there's strength and unity. You know what I mean? There's strength in numbers and strength in unity. You know, life itself is a union of things. Um, so we set out to do that, and we hope that we achieved it, and we'll know as time go on. As far as myself and the map. <sighs> well, let me hit you with another one. I'm like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> because I know you meditate a lot, and you, you're a big advocate for, you know, taking time out of the hustle and grind of modern day life and, and going inside. So... At what point do you engage in that during your creative process? Is it before a big project? Is it after? Is it during? You know, like, talk to me about what that gives you um, when you're, like, in a stressful situation, like trying to film a mini-movie over the course of a couple of weeks. I think, I don't know, it's hard to really describe, right? The best analogy I could give you is I feel like an antenna. And 
I'm just tuned in, and the signal just zoom, zoom, zoom. You know, I mean, I, I, that's the best way I could describe it to you, bro. Uh, I feel you. Okay, so um, let's open it up for questions now. Um, I know some of y'all must want to talk to the man himself, so um, we've got uh, a little bit of time. So questions in the crowd. Do we have mics out here? I think they may have texted them, right? Right. My bad. They're right over here. <laughs> um, okay. So we've got one from Anonymous. You made your directorial debut with the man uh, with the Iron Fist. What inspired you to pursue a career in film directing, and what challenges did you face? I made the um, decision to, to become, a, become a director because of my, my peers. Uh, at the time, of course, uh, John Woo gave me a lot of lunches and conversations, and Jim Jarmusch became a friend. And then once I met Quentin Tarantino and we became buddies, I saw a piece of art in him that resonated with myself. And um, we talked about it. And I said, yeah, I think, I, I think this is like the expression I want to do. And so I did it. The challenge is that it's hard to do anything the first time and you asking somebody to give you money to do something that you've never done before. You know what I mean? Uh, but fortunately, I had a successful career, and I had a demo. I did a demo of a kung fu film, and I showed it to them. They was like, oh, he, he did it on his own. He know how to do it. And that allowed them to open the door for me. Just like music, right? Like, you got to have that shop that demo around yeah, have a before demo. somebody takes a chance on you. Um, next question from Etta. Uh, have you come across any books, music, uh, or TV films lately that have sparked inspiration for your upcoming projects? For me right now, I'm just really deep into, you know, Brahms, France Liszt, um, deep into uh, Beethoven, and um, it, I'm finding another new, I'm finding a new way of language and expression now by studying the classical musicians. Okay. I kind of- new chamber as it was. Yeah, new chamber. So cl the classical musicians uh, and their stories are, is fascinating me now. You know, it's funny because one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about was you just uh, produced a ballet, right? You, uh, what is, did that come out of your fascination with uh, classical music? What, and what was that process like? Yeah, it came from the fascination of classical music and the, a way to tell story you know, immediately and physically without having to worry about post-production and all that. But I, I think I'll talk about that another time. Yeah, Thanks. Cool. Um, okay, uh, from Andre, uh, would you say anime and video games are the kung fu movies and comic books of the new generation? Definitely, and animation and video games is, has always been here, you know, it's, and it's always been inspiring. I mean, you think of an uh, old Atari game like Mega Mania, right? <laughs> Which, yeah. or even Pitfall. The beauty of an old Atari cartridge is, is that you'll look at the art <laughs> on the cover, yeah. and it'd be looking crazy, even though the game yeah. graphics. Painted and yeah. whatnot, and then you get four pixels on the screen, right? Yeah, like the game graphics was Green, black, and that's a man, right? Exactly. But still, inspiration, because it made you believe that you were going into that place. Yeah. You was in that, ash, that, that ship fighting those asteroids. Uh, yeah, and anim animation and anime, uh, one of the greatest forms of, of, of expressing art, because you get it all, too. Uh, yes, I'll say they are the modern kung fu movies. Um, 
from Damien, uh, you mentioned the elevation of people. Who would you say are people that have elevated and positively impacted you? I mean, I mean, you were dropping names like yeah, before. Yeah, and no, I was saying in life, you know, I definitely have some good peers, you know, I mean, as those directors I named. But also, I'm never shy to turn to our great spiritual sages from all uh, walks and denominations. So it's something beautiful that Jesus is going to say, something beautiful that Abraham's going to say, something beautiful that uh, Krishna is going to say, something beautiful the prophet Muhammad is going to say. To me, men of the past uh, and their writings have challenged life a lot. And so I find myself really constantly reading uh, how they dealt with it, you know? How does, and even if some of, you know, even if you are uh, atheist or polytheist or whatever you are, right? You still can't deny a story to how does a man like Abraham deal with the 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 faith of I've been told to kill my son and I'm gonna do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> right and and have that much faith in something or or someone like Job who who gives his you know who who who, who loses everything yeah including his wife but still never turn away from his conviction and then you know those type of stories to me are. Always amazing. And even Hercules, <laughs> Hercules got to go down and go through the seven trials. Yeah, yeah, all those old labors. He had to clean up stables full of uh, cow poop if hey. I was one of his labors. I'm like, okay, I would have yeah. been like, no, I'm good. Actually. I actually cleaned out uh, cows and pigs when I was young, too. So. <laughs> Hercules, yeah, Hercules, Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> anyway. um, how do you maintain that determined focus and creativity and keep that drive and confidence as you continue to make more art? This one's from Faisal. Do you be yourself, stay pure to yourself. I know that that's what I do. I know that I'm an artist. I'm not shy of it. I'm not scared of it. I accept it. And when, and when the signal hits this antenna, I do my best to transmit it back to the world. That's dope. Um, yeah, clap for that one. Uh, from Justin, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Um, in the last five years, the best improvement in my life has been really, really having the patience and the pure acceptance of my wife as my partner. Right. Sometimes we look at our wives, excuse me for going domestic here, but your wife is your partner, bro. All right. Equal standing 50 50 on life and decision. All right. If you fight that, you're fighting yourself and you're fighting your own other half. And my wife has been such a blessing to me and a joy to me uh, and me not you know, I would say in our community, we had an old slogan. Oh, you got a woman, you know, keep her in check and don't give her no money and, yeah, oh, yeah. man, get out of here. That's old 70 pimp shit, all right? Right, right. <laughs> what we do, you, your woman, your wife is your partner. It takes knowledge and wisdom to bring forth understanding. 
It takes man and woman Get to bring forth here, that child. And that child is, could be your art. That child can be dealing with your home economics. It could be the decision on the car you drive. It takes those two energies to fully give you a full scope of what you're dealing with it. And that's been my greatest thing in the last five, maybe seven years now. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, props for that. Um, have you ever, from Anonymous, yeah. Have you ever gone into the lab with the goal of making a certain beat, but then in the process you totally divert to producing something else completely different? Definitely. Yeah. It's, one time I was in the lab making a track, and I did something by mistake. And it, and it shit sounded crazy, yo. Yeah. And I was like, yo. And that song became Guillotine. Wow. The only built for Cuban Links album. is Actually, that song was a mistake. You know? That explains why that loop is so crazy, right? Yeah. Like, you, you think you could recreate that today? Um, I don't know. Okay. We'll see. Um, speaking of music, uh, Daniel asks, any plans to release some of the redone music from the show? Yeah, we actually were talking about that. On the show, we was fortunate to have a, a lot of young musicians help, uh, help us out as well. Uh, there's a band called Shots and a band called The New Hippies, who we actually give them a credit. Yeah, they're that. in the Dirt episode. Yeah, yeah it's a live so band. New Hippies are out of um, L.A. and Shots are out of New Jersey, the old Bruce Springsteen hood. Um, and uh, they recorded a lot of songs um, for this season, and hopefully they get a chance to put them out there and share them with the world. Nice. Um, can you talk from Rachel? Can you talk a little bit more about the idea of creating a map for the audience to discover the stories you're trying to tell? I mean, um, you know, even when we're dealing with, I mean, how many writers are in the room? Okay, got a few of us in here. I mean, there's a structure, right? You know, even the, how many musicians in the room? Yeah, the, the keys are laid out in the structure. The, the strings are put there in the structure. The fretboard has a map. Right. So, so learn the structure, right? And then once you learn the structure, create your own structure. And I would say, say this, now one thing a map doesn't do, it doesn't tell you that it's gonna be quicksand sometime, right? Indiana Jones, he didn't, he didn't know everything that's about to pop off. Right. But he was so in tune with himself and his experience of things that even though that big boulder was about to roll, he made it down in time. Yeah. So also the experience, right? Travel your map multiple times in your head before you travel it with your feet. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Um, is there a producer on the come up that reminds you of your journey? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say his name right now. <laughs> it's like asking to pick a favorite child, right? You're like, they're all my children. I love them all equally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what's your mem most memorable moment so far in your career? I don't know. I think, man, that first run with Wu-Tang Clan and all my brothers and, you know, stuffed in a van 
falling asleep on each other's shoulders, uh, not knowing where we were going. Yeah. You know, I never forget that feeling, uh, the coldness sometime of those long road trips. You know what I mean? We actually thought that uh, Best Westerns and Super 8 hotels were nice. Or like high-end fly. <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling you, bro, it's such a crazy thing uh, to, to live that journey. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I grew up in New York City, um, and I was in school when y'all were first starting to come out. And, um, I mean, y'all... I realize I sound like a really stereotypical old head now, but the energy at the Wu-Tang show back in the day was bananas. Like, uh, it was y'all and probably Cypress Hill where, like, I never heard of the band before the concert, but the next day I'm going to Tower Records and getting that tape and that cassette. So uh, it's, 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 you know, as much as you've done, it's so gratifying to hear, like, that remains like a peak moment for you, which is to say you hadn't had other peaks, but... Um, like, for it to still be, like, the Everest of, of your life really sounds uh, beautiful. One thing I had to ask, want to ask you about the show was, um, you know, you guys have been at it for a couple of years now. Like, who amongst the cast members, like, reminds you most about what your guys' journey was like? You know, like, the, you know, Ashton and Shamik and all these other uh, performers are, you know, charting their own careers, like, Whose story makes you feel like, yeah, there's, a, there's an echo in here? I mean, there's a little bit in, of the story in all of these young men. You know, you look at Ashton, who chose art. You know, he was, you know, shy and, and, and not trying to be on the scene with all of the foolery that was going on in his hood. He's a guy that was like, I'm going to take art serious. You look at Shamik, who, you know, is a really a, a chameleon of an actor. Uh, He's amazing. He absorbs it. He, he's a kid that never heard, held a gun before growing up. You know, he grew up with his mother and father, but he took art so seriously that he's able to transform himself into whatever task you give him. Um, you look at Elijah, you know, who grew up in Harlem, uptown, and, and decided to be a Broadway actor, and we pull them into our world, you know what I mean? They all have something that reminds me of myself or my Wu-Tang brothers, and I think this is the reason why the show uh, was successful, you know, when you, once you do season one, you're like, okay, okay, what's gonna happen? Yeah. But no, the, the audience responded, uh, Hulu responded, and we were able to go on and continue to tell the story and get 30 hours of TV to share with the world. And it's, it's this amazing cast and their own trajectory of life that helped us do that. I really love Erica Alexander's performance in the show. Like, you know, like on one hand, she's playing your mother, a real person, right? But like on the other hand, it seems like it continues this long lineage of like watching bl black women raise families on TV. And there's, I, there's so much like nuance, you know, she knows the kids are up to dirt, you know, like, right. but like, she's like, this is what we got to do to survive. Like, what was the impetus to kind of like shaping her character that way? You know, she was a blessing to us, you know, even the weight of her as an actress 
And, and I told her I wasn't shy to share with Erica that I used to watch her on TV with my mother, you know? And, um, you know, she, it was not, you know, her playing someone who passed away, she, you know, she wanted to give it homage and grace and respect. And she sat down with my sisters and got all these stories. And I think her, her weight, not only as the mother of the uh, show, but even for the cast, yeah. all of these young men are still young and they're still kind of Wu-Tangers. They still, <laughs> you know, if it's a party on Tuesday night, they might want to go do it and come to work on Wednesday. But she was a, a lot of gravity and she sharpened a lot of their swords. Like, nice. Yeah, I see one. Let me give you one quick story. One day, uh, you know, it was rehearsal, and one of the actors decided to, you know, keep it all quiet like that. She's like, um, what number are you on the call sheet? <laughs> you shouldn't be acting like, give it up. Come on, get up. Give me that energy. And he was like, he, he snapped out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with acting, right? Like, you you have to match the energy of your collaborators, right? Like like you're in the booth, right? Like you can't be coming like, ooh, you gotta like. You gotta bring it. Yeah. Um, speaking of bring it, um, there's a really good question from Tudor. Uh, what's next, 10 years from now, what art forms are you excited about? I don't know, yo. I mean, I'm making films and, you know, I'll just wait for the knock on the door in my head and when it knocks, I'll go do it, you know what I mean? But I'm having a lot of fun, and uh, I gotta honestly say, I, I've been to South by Southwest a few times, but I, I don't, I've never done a panel, and so I wanna thank you guys for sitting here listening to me. <laughs> I wanna thank the South by Southwest and, and, and Hulu for uh, setting this up and inviting me. I actually, um, uh, I'm flattered, you know what I mean? And I'm thankful, and uh, I know what I've, what I've done, but I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to live a, a life as an artist. Yeah, I mean, we're grateful for you, you know? Like, uh, speaking personally as somebody who listens to your music as a younger man, like, just knowing that those horizons are open for you, you know, like, and you don't have to compromise, and you know, your aesthetic has generally been one that's like, like direct, unrefined, and I think we're all really grateful for that. So again, everybody, let's give it up for RZA.